This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two fantastic people and one very special guest. I'm here with Nick White. Hey. Paul Jaceley. Hello. And the, I want to say infamous, Dave Baker. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) Dave, Dave, thank you guys so much for joining the show. Specifically, Dave, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Before we get into everything, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and just who you are for the people listening at home? Yeah, so I'm Dave Baker. I'm a writer-illustrator. I live in Los Angeles. Um, uh, You might know my work from books like Fuck Off Squad, Action Hospital, Shitty Watchmen, uh, Murders, a bunch of other comics, uh, Star Trek Waypoint. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, Dave, we're, we met you, uh, I think we've met you before a couple times, but we talked to you at C2E2, we had a blast chatting with you just about your, your really cool comics that you had at your booth, and we figured we had to have you on the show, so thank you so much for being here this week, and we're going to get into the amazing stuff that we do every week, which is, I'm going to ask the question, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Things have been good. The weather's finally turning around. Yesterday we had a ton of thunderstorms and, and hail and like downpours and it's it's michigan so the possibility for snow is like still not off the table <laughs> um maybe in july we'll be able to say that for sure uh we'll have to see um as for what i've read uh probably one of the bigger books i've read recently is fallen world number 1 that's from valiant uh, it's written by dan abnett pencils by adam polina colors by ulysses Arayla, uh, and letters by Jeff Powell. Um, for those unaware who have perhaps never listened to the show or aren't familiar with my very dumb views, um, I haven't entirely loved the most recent batch of Valiant books. And I guess if you want to sort of point to one of the few redeeming qualities of floppies in this world where people are like, we need to just move to all trades and all digital and and floppies are this archaic thing, um, they do at least allow me to sort of just dip my toes into the water from time to time and go, okay, well, here's like three or four dollars. Let's at least take a glance at this and make up my mind for sure whether or not this is something I don't, (laughs) you know, I'm not interested in. Um, so I did that with Fallen World number one, and, and I have to say, it's probably the strongest title of the bunch. I probably would have pulled it if it wasn't for the fact that I'm sort of under a, like, only one new title a month policy right now to just keep my pull under control, and there was an Aliens title launching the same month, so it was like, (laughs) it was like Sophie's Choice, except it wasn't really a choice, um, I guess. Um, that being said, like if you if you enjoyed Rye and you really enjoyed Four Thousand and One A.D., you really owe it owe it to yourself to pick this book up. It really does pick up pretty much all of the narrative threads from Four Thousand and One A.D. So if you had any questions about how that was going to play out, um, it, it does a really good job. Uh, Dan Abnett, like he did his work. It's it's not to say that some of these people come in and are just sort of like you know punching in and punching out. Um, on the clock, but I, I think he did a fantastic job. Um, everybody's back from Lula to Eternal Warrior to Father to all of the other characters that everyone listening to this show is going to go. I don't know who any of these people are. This doesn't mean anything to me. Please stop. Nick, um, it means something to me. You know, I read 4001. You got me. That's okay. all. That, this is the person you need to sell to. It's everyone okay. other than Mike, just ignore this. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, please. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like, the 30-second synopsis would be 
in Rye, uh, there was this place called New Japan. It's this utopia in sort of an Elysium kind of way that exists, I think, several miles uh, above the Earth. Um, except it turns out maybe things aren't that wonderful. Rye finds out that this AI called Father, which is running things, might be kind of corrupt, blah, 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 blah. New Japan comes crashing down into Earth. And so now you have all of these settlements of um, survivors uh, trying to, I guess, uh, continue to survive on this nuclear wasteland, if you will. Um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I I enjoy that you've got um, 4001 AD Bloodshot effectively functioning as the sector's one-man police force, uh, saving people from synthetic dinosaurs with 1990s Todd McFarlane-styled guns, basically. Um, Great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely <laughs> deranged. Um and then uh, new new bloodshot. That's what I'm calling him. And just not N E W, just N U, like new metal, new bloodshot. Right. Um, finds Olmec from Legends of the Hidden Temple, who's like, hey, if you let me out of this cave, um, I'll help everybody. And he's like, yeah, that sounds like a wise idea with no repercussions because this is comics. And uh, yeah, I'll Jeez. I'll leave it at that. The only other thing I want to just briefly mention that I read is BPRD 1946. I am slowly making my way through that book, um, or that series, rather. Like, my goodness, there's just so much of this. Uh, But this was a really interesting volume because you've got Mike Mignola co-writing with Joshua Dysart, which you don't generally find co-writers on these books with Mignola, and when you do, it's usually John Arcudi, so this was kind of a rare instance and you've got paul i'm gonna get this right because i looked it up i swear as a as a seta paul as a seta on art who is perhaps most recently best known for doing outcast with kirkman um which was also really really weird because it means that you also have nick filardi doing colors for him which means you have a dark horse hellboy book with no dave stewart which is strange very it's like in the two percentile like it's got to (laughs) be super rare and I, I'm thoroughly enjoying that, if only because Paul Ezzeseta's pencils from 2008 look a lot like Jean-Paul Leon's pencils, which is not a bad thing. That is a very, very good thing. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I've been reading. Gotcha. Well, uh, I, I want to just find that spot where you mentioned New Metal, Nick, and I really just want to put a disturbed soundbite in there. Fuck you, uh, Power Man because... 5000. I don't... I don't... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, so, Dave, <laughs> let me ask you the question I ask everybody. How have you been? How have comic books been? Are the, have you been reading anything good lately? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been great, man. Uh, you know, working on my next book right now, uh, reading a bunch of comics as always. Uh, recently, I've read uh actually when i was in c2e2 when when i saw you guys last uh i got a free um like advanced readers copy of the graphic novel laura dean keeps breaking up with me by Mm. marco tamaki and rosemary valero o'connell fuck yeah and (laughs) i have been i mean it's, it's an understatement to say that i have been salivating for this book for years like i I remember when it got announced and was just like, uh, Tamaki and Valero O'Connell on one book, take me to there. Absolutely. And, uh, it did not disappoint. Um, first second has been putting out some really great comics. I really, I really enjoyed, uh, I re- I enjoyed most of what they put out, but specifically this book feels kind of like the spiritual sequel to, um, this one summer, which is another OGN that I really, really loved from whatever that was three years, four years ago. I kind of mm-hmm. don't, 
Uh, no, but yeah, so uh, as as the title would suggest, it's about um, a young girl uh, dealing with an on-again, off-again relationship um, with a character named Laura Dean, who keeps breaking up with her. Um, the layouts are great. Rosemary Valero O'Connell's Anatomy is great. Um, Mariko Tamaki, I think, is a writer who, uh, when she's paired with the right artist, is exceptional. And uh, other times, I think, you know, like you were saying, sometimes people punch clocks. And, uh, you know, I think in that big two machine, it's really hard to do personal work. And uh, this feels like very, very personal work. And it's it's nice to see two creators coming together with a common vision and making something that's both unique and um, uh, very, very, very well executed. Like even just the lettering in this book is really great because it's all done by Rosemary Valero O'Connell. And she draws all the balloon tails herself. So all of the characters' speech kind of has a very... It's kind of hard to explain, but it, it's like a... It feels like a Rosemary Valero O'Connell drawing, the way that she kind of tapers balloon tails and um, chooses when to have a long tail and when to have a short tail and where the balloon placement is. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the book is great. I really, really, really love it. And... Uh, I am excited that I have this weird advanced reader's copy because the collector in me is like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I read that pretty recently and I couldn't put it down. I, it was such a fantastic book. And currently actually right now in our Goodreads book of the month, it is in the tiebreaker moment between Captain America volume, volume one by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And it's, and then Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me and I'm like really crossing my fingers here, hoping that Laura Dean wins. I'm as much as I want to read that Captain America run, like, that first second book holy shit it's fantastic yeah, yeah and also like you know does captain america really need more help like <laughs> yeah. i love captain america yeah. i love captain america it's great i'm not shitting on it. i'm just saying like there's like 70 years of cap comics and i'm sure the ta-nehisi coat stuff is great but also laura dean breaking up with me should sell a bazillion copies so i'm yeah. i'm now casting my vote i was gonna this. say dave I, I think mike is viewing this as an opportunity for you to join the goodreads group and uh <laughs> yeah. set yeah. things straight yeah he's proselytizing uh, out in the streets uh he's won me over because i love laura dean and anytime uh any opportunity to talk about cool comics by cool people uh the other thing i read just briefly uh is um showa history of japan by um, and now it's now it's my turn to butcher a name. I believe it's pronounced Shigeru Mizuki. Uh, but, you know, being a manga nerd, I never actually know because I don't have anybody to talk about manga with. So I'm always <laughs> like, I think it's this. I don't know. Anyway, it's a, uh, a half autobiographical, half historical uh, manga about, like it says, the history of Japan all through the Showa era. Uh, it, it chronicles from 1926 to 1939. Um, and it's all about the economic crisis of the Showa period and uh, the massive earthquake that basically set Japan back like 100 years and the rise of the alt-right um, kind of uh, pseudo-fascist uh, political party in Japan. And uh, I didn't know any of it. It's pretty crazy. Like there were apparently in Japan during this time period, because things were so bad financially, um, there was like a, a far right, you know, pseudo-Republican terrorist organization who would go around killing um mem like financial members of the government um like bankers and shit um because they were so upset with how uh the japanese government was handling the financial crisis so anybody involved in banking who's just like had like a massive target on their back um which is 
really fascinating. And it's it's crazy to see how everything from the 20s and 30s is kind of repeating itself now in terms of, you know, massive financial fraud and um, natural disasters and governments maybe not acknowledging disasters in areas that are uh, not at vital to the uh, the day-to-day operations of countries. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. And it's all, all of that like historical stuff is paired with, um, you know, like I said, autobiographical comics about uh, Mizuki's childhood and him growing up in Japan and um, basically being raised by a family friend, almost like this older kind of grandmotherly type character who took care of him because his dad left to try and work in the city to send home money and his mom was always away working seven jobs. So he kind of was like raised by this older woman and obsessed with drawing. And um, it's very, it's very, um, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds like it. I, that yeah. you've hooked me, you've sold me. That sounds really <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> I think Dave's put forward like this summer's like nice light beach read, you know, it's a, uh, it's the perfect thing to take with you as you sit out there sunbathing and, uh, yeah, no. it's pretty it's pretty wild too because, you know, obviously manga is produced on a different schedule than American comics and, you know, obviously there's a bunch of assistants that help with producing the pages that you need to meet on a weekly deadline and the 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 assistant to mangaka ratio in Showa is very apparent and it's it's mm. actually something that I kind of like because you can you can feel I think this is a kind of clumsy metaphor, but you can almost feel him being a director, like a movie where, you know, there's, you know, a, a crowd scene that's obviously referenced from a photo that is that he has literally not touched. There's no mark on that page that is made by him, but you know that he went into a studio and went up to an assistant and was like, trace this photo here. And mm. I, there's something, it's just a completely different way of making comics. That's very interesting to me. Um, uh, when I was younger, I probably would not have enjoyed it as much because I want, like, I want to see the cartoonist's hand. I want to see them drawing. Right. And he does draw stuff, but it's really funny because you can see the discrepancy between what he draws because he has this very loopy, goofy style. And then 95% of the book, which is, you know, photorealistic, kind of look at me draw 75 blades of grass on this mm-hmm. <laughs> panel. <laughs> It's sort of like you can actively see the collaboration, I think, is sort of, is that what you're saying? Like, it's real apparent to sort of see how things come together. Yeah, the delineation of of roles is not camouflaged at all. Like, it's very transparent of, I don't give a shit about drawing this giant war scene. Here, three assistants spend a couple of days drawing this thing, and then I'm going to write some words over the top of it. Wow. Um, Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I mean, like I said, I think you sold me. You, <laughs> I'm very excited to check this out. At least this is this is a pretty pretty big book, then, right? I'm guessing mm-hmm. you can't cover an entire period of Japan's history in like you know 200 pages. Yeah, each, I think it's it's multiple volumes. I have the first two, and I've only read the first one, and each one is about 400 pages, and they take <laughs> about approximately like eight to ten years a volume. Gotcha. Very hmm. cool. Well, I just want to talk about this, but we got to move on. Paul, what have you? <laughs> Paul, what have you I mean, been reading? Paul, it doesn't been? matter. No, it's you know, it's not. I mean, it's not nearly as interesting as that. I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> um, I've been uh, comically behind on my uh, weekly or monthly uh, floppies here, so I just have stacks of comics. I'm trying to make my way through. Um, so I've been trying 
best way to play catch up. That's what I've been doing this weekend is just reading a bunch of uh, recent comics that I'm behind on. Um, I wanted to mention Justice League numbers 22 through 24. I read those uh, written by James Tinian four with uh, Scott Snyder writing some of them. Um, and then Francis Manipole's on issue 22 and then Jorge Jimenez on 23 and 24. Um, this is big, dumb superhero comics. I've kind of been burned out on that stuff, but for some reason, these issues really clicked for me because it is just so, uh, it's so bonkers. <laughs> you have the Justice League trapped in the sixth dimension. Um, uh, meanwhile, Superman is trapped in a sunless prison so that he doesn't stop Batman from creating a utopia um meanwhile <laughs> sure bat might meanwhile bat oh, no. and mr mitzes pitalik are fighting each other in man in uh, metropolis it's just bonkers and i love it um but what i really enjoy about these this justice league series is that you have artists like francis manipole and jorge jimenez who are very idiosyncratic styles and like i've always liked it when flagship superhero books have unique and different stylized artists on them. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because Manipal's work does not look like anything else that DC does, really, that's, you know, a flagship book like this. So um, if it's building up to a big conclusion in issue 25 that's out this week. So uh, I don't know. I, I just really sort of had to turn my brain off and enjoy some dumb, fun comics, and those really hit the hit the mark for me there. Nice. Um, uh, speaking of which, uh, dumb, fun comics, I read Deceased number one, which is... Uh, I avoided picking up initially because it just looked like DC's attempt to do like a Marvel zombies type story where, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, where you just have zombies. But it turns out it's like a new God story because in DC's number one, you find out that uh, Darkseid kidnaps Cyborg and then tries to use the Black Racer's power over death to extract part of the anti-life equation from Cyborg. And then um, it manifests itself into like a zombie infection so Cyborg gets sent back to Earth, and he's basically patient zero. And the anti-life equation is being spread through social media, through, like, Wi-Fi signal. So the entire planet is being like affected. real life, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's a, not a very, uh, it's a, you know, a very obvious metaphor for uh, how social media and phones have taken over. Uh, but it's also got, you know, Darkseid and Desaad and the Black Racer and, you know, Batman in it. So I'm enjoying it. Um, I wouldn't have picked it up initially, but once I found out that it was kind of like a backdoor New God story, I was all over it. So Very nice. again, second issue comes out this week. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was oddly excited by uh, some dumb, fun superhero stuff this week. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you were able to start your summer off with some dumb, <laughs> fun summer stuff. Uh, exactly. Cool, man. Well, for me, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I took all of Memorial Day weekend and just read every single physical book that I have. I mean, that's not true, but I read a lot. <laughs> Um, mostly I just like had all these collected editions or I should say trades or excuse me, I had these OGNs that I've just been sitting on and they're all from first second. Like Dave's a hundred percent right. First second is putting out some knockout books and it is incredible the stuff that they're making. Um, and I sat down and read a bunch of those, but the, uh, and Paul and I recorded the last episode of our Doom Patrol series, which yesterday, which is awesome. Like, I don't mean to be like a total shill and plug our Patreon, but honestly, you should go support us on patreon check out that series the first four episodes are out and it's amazing we're going through every single issue of grant morrison's doom patrol and all the good times and bad times in that series i just i can't get over it i loved reading that entire series Mm. so i finished doom patrol that was one of the other things but i also read uh gender queer this is by maya kobabe this is from lion forge comics and 
Uh, Kate talked about this on the show, I think, last week or the week before. Um, and I was like, oh, that sounds like a really cool idea for a comic. The idea of uh, Michael Bobby talking about uh, air experience become like moving from a child who didn't understand their identity and what they wanted in life and recognizing that, oh, they... they re- identify as like a different sexuality than what people would expect she's uh they're not uh uh i'm trying to be i'm trying to be uh proper here and using their correct pronouns because the book is about understanding air's journey from uh just this little girl to the person that they become and i was really fascinated by this book the the art style is almost cartoony and it's very bright and it's really really positive i feel like the entire story from beginning to end is never trying to talk down to the reader or say i can't believe you didn't know this or even when it, when uh Kababi faces issues in in her life like i don't think it's ever met with a like oh the goddamn society is trying to out to get me. It's it's mostly like I didn't understand this. I didn't know what was going on, and here's how I figured it out. It, it's a very beautiful comic. Um, the the full title is Gender Queer, uh, a, a memoir because it's about Maya Kobabe's like life from a very small person to a, the adult that Air had become, and. I was really impressed. I, I cannot get over how fantastic this book was. I, I talked to someone via direct messages the other day on Instagram because they saw that I had posted about it. And we had this really interesting back and forth conversation um, that I, I'm very glad that I was able to have with someone about, talking about why books like this are super important and they need to be promoted as much as possible. And I think like if you're someone out who's out there who maybe doesn't have a full understanding of why people use different pronouns or what the like like why someone would go about doing something like that when it can be very challenging in society. Um, this is a good example uh, to, of, of a book that helps you understand that. And I don't think it's like the end all be all to say, here's why people use different pronouns. Cause I don't think that this, that's what this book accomplishes, but I do think um, it's a good example to say, Oh, here's one person's journey and how they got from, I identify as a girl to, I don't identify as a man or a woman identifies something, something else. Um, I, I love this book. I, I cannot recommend it enough. There's some really fun bits. There's some really sad bits. I think that Kababi's art approaches some very difficult topics in such a beautiful way that doesn't isn't there to like make you feel weird. It's just to explain things very rationally from their from that person's perspective. Um, I, I just cannot get over how good this book was. Um, I read this in a sitting. I, I loved it so much. So highly recommend this to you guys if you guys get a chance to read it. But yeah, I guess we can we can move on and we could talk about comics that we're excited for this upcoming week because comic books are coming out on June 5th, 2019. What are you all excited for? Paul, I'm going to throw this back to you. <laughs> well, uh, Mike, I'm excited for The Green Lantern number eight. This is the uh, series that Grant Morrison is doing with Liam Sharp. This is a deeply, deeply weird comic and I love it very much. I mean, I guess... It goes without saying it is a Grant Morrison comic, so yeah. no, therefore it's weird. But it's weird in a different way. I think I mentioned on the show before, it feels like a 2000 AD sci-fi story featuring Hal Jordan. And, um, you know, there was the issue, I think it was issue five, where you had Hal Jordan have to fight his way across a planet full of vampires. Uh, you had issue the last issue, issue seven, where Hal Jordan is trapped inside his own power ring with um, Mirwidden, who's the what <laughs> sorcerer who's also trapped in the power ring. Um and then um, this issue, of course, features the reunion between Hal Jordan and um, Oliver Queen, the hard-traveling heroes, Green Arrow and Green Lantern. Um, it's interesting because 
as weird as the book is, Morrison is still referencing classic Green Lantern stories. I mean, there is a Silver Age story where a sorcerer gets trapped inside Hal Jordan's power ring. So he's referencing that in the previous issue. Obviously, there's the classic Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, hard-traveling heroes with Green Lantern and Green Arrow. So it's, it's interesting that this book is sort of like in the mainstream DC continuity. It kind of feels like it would have been, you know, all-star Green Lantern if it had come out 10 years ago. You know what I mean? It's sort of like totally. tour through the history of the character and these different angles of it. And um, Liam, Liam Sharp's artwork is just fantastic. There's really no other book I can think of that looks like it. It's just such a unique style. Um, it does have a very 2080 feel to it. So if you want some sort of bizarre sci-fi stuff, um, you don't need to know a ton about Green Lanterns, like history or anything. I think it is a pretty fun book just to uh, look at and uh, just have your mind blown every now and again by it. So I'm pretty excited for this next issue. Very cool. Uh, Dave, what about you? Do you, are you excited for any books that are coming out in the near future? Uh, I mean, this is a little bit, it's not this week, but sure, the, that's the fine. thing that I'm, the thing that I'm most excited about is, uh, <laughs> is old Jonathan Hickman's run on the X-Men. <laughs> you and me both, man. You and me both. Like, uh, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but recently I have not really, uh, gelled with what Marvel's been trying to do with the X-Men, not against any of the specific creators, I just kind of haven't been liking a lot of the editorial direction for most of the X books, with some few exceptions. You know, I liked some stuff here and there, uh, but more or less, the X Men have felt kind of just sidelined and waylaid and forgotten. And uh, to just even that that preview image that they put out at C two E two, just that image alone, I was like, "Yep, it's old. Uh huh? Whatever it is, <laughs> take me to there. I don't know what that is, but I want it." Yeah. Um, and the fact that the the new like maxi series thing they're doing, like all the issues are going to be double and triple sized, and I just I, yeah, just take me to there. Just I just want it so bad. It looks great. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I I cannot be more excited for an X Men series right now. It's impossible. They couldn't throw anything else out there that would make me more excited. So here's my question though: as someone that knows very little about the X Men and really hasn't read much of it, is would this be a good jumping on point? Like I'm pretty excited, or I'm curious about the excitement for it, so I'm kind of tempted to jump on at this point. Honestly, I cannot answer that because <laughs> I don't know what the fuck it's about. No. Oh one yeah, knows. I mean obvi- like, obviously I, it's not out yet, but I mean it's I, I'm just curious if that's going to be something I should check out. So I'm I'm I go back and forth on Hickman. Some of the stuff I like, some of it doesn't work for me, but I, at least uh, I'm curious enough to uh, maybe dip my toes into that pool, so to speak. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, I think I probably am a little bit more positive on Hickman than you, and that I would say mm-hmm. most of it works for me, but some of it doesn't. Um, but even when it doesn't work, I respect the fact that that dude is taking a swing. You know, yeah, he's always yeah. he's always got a big idea that he's building shit around, and even if it doesn't necessarily work for me or come together, I always like the fact that he's. Like, he doesn't feel like somebody who does a book just for a paycheck, even when he's on 75 books. Like, every book yeah. has a specific <laughs> stated purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have listened to Kieran Gillen's podcast, uh, Decompressed, but he did a interview, like an hour-long interview with Hickman after Secret Wars. And oh, it's, it's amazing because... It's like zero fucks given level of her, uh, <laughs> Hickman. He's just like, I never want to work there again. Like it was too much. And they just like shit talk Marvel's kind of like crank it out. It doesn't matter if it's good method of uh, producing books. And uh, it's a really interesting interview. And it sounded like that from that, like he was never going to go back again. And he's been right. doing a bunch of Hollywood stuff and a bunch of creator own stuff. 
And for him to actually come back and show run this thing, like they must have given him so much money and just complete creative control. And I, him coming back alone is enough to get me to read it. But now him coming back with what we've seen and the artists that he's paired with, sold, sold, so hard, sold. Yeah, same here. I f- to to prevent us from going on just a twenty five minute X Men rant because I absolutely <laughs> will. I'm a hundred percent there with you. I didn't realize that this mini like mini series maxi series they were doing was going to be extra sized issues, which would explain why they're all six. They're two six issue mini series instead of twelve issue mini series. But like, holy shit! Like, yeah, I'm I'm very pumped, Paul. I will report back to you when we when I get the first issues to let you know. I have a feeling though, it's going to be like, hey, fuck all this continuity. Um, we're going to be doing something else now uh, because sure. I think that's what Hickman likes to do. But anyways, Dave, I will I will reach out to you when that first issue comes out as well because I need someone else to talk to other than these, these, these schmucks. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm totally <laughs> Dave, when that yeah. first issue comes out, disconnect your phone. Uh, <laughs> go uh, off the grid. Find a cabin in Maine because that's the only way you're going to be safe from Mike. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, Nick, what about you? What are you excited for this upcoming week? Well, I really should just honestly build like a bot or some automated program that's like, what's Nick's pick of the week? Is there a Matt Kent book out? Yes, there is. Well, then that's the pick of the week. Right. Um, it's Black Hammer 45, number four. This is the last issue. Story by Jeff Lemire. Uh, script by Ray Fox. Pencils by Matt Kent. Colors by Charlene Kent. And letters by Marie Enger. This is the last issue of the series, and as the press release says, uh, the Black Hammer Squadron comes face-to-face with the Nazis, the Soviets, and the aerial killer, the Ghost Hunter, in a final showdown to save the family at the center of the fight. Um, So obviously this is, I don't know what's going on, but this is the second book um, I'm dealing with, or bringing up this, this week after BPRD 1946, where it's uh, the Americans and the Russians both uh, attempting to uh, steal uh, German secrets. So apparently that's a thing I'm interested in this week. Uh, I don't know how this issue could be any more insane than number three. Honestly, there were some massively huge panel layouts going on that I don't usually see that scope and scale from Matt Kent, so I was kind of surprised. I don't know if Matt loved or hated drawing this issue as well, because it's just filled to the brim with mechs and planes and explosions and tanks galore. And um, for Black Hammer being a series that's obviously very um, meditative and reflective on the history of comic books and and comic book tropes and eras and and genres, and I know this seems like a no-brainer thing to say, this is like very very much in the vein of like a 1940s war comic like the tropes and and everything going on it it Mm -hmm. it it works i I think it works really well uh and honestly the last splash page of of number three uh really solid composition probably one of my favorite kent pages of all time so for those of you who have enjoyed this series up until now i i think number four is going to be really exciting um even if probably people that are looking for more continuity with the Black Hammer universe at large haven't quite seen that much of that, but I'm personally okay with that. Like this isn't like Star Wars where every every movie needs 18 Skywalkers and everybody's related. Like it's okay to have characters who are not, you know, uh, immediately re- related to everything else we've seen. So I I appreciate that. Yeah, I I've, I've enjoyed this series so far. Um 
but uh, just for, for lack of time, I'm going to just jump right into my pick for this week. Um, I'm excited for Age of X-Men Prisoner X, so sorry, Dave. Uh, number four. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Vita Ayala with Herman Peralta, and the last issue had some very strange beats, I but I... I think that this whole age of x-men thing is crumbling so i can forgive a lot of like weird continuity issues because i think ayala has done a really good job of explaining some of that stuff away um to say like yeah like everything's falling apart because this whole thing that we're doing with age of x-men is really really falling apart coming apart at the seams very quickly and if you're reading you know any of the other age of x-men books you totally understand that but i think that Ayala has she's done they've done a fantastic job of writing all of the the focal characters Bishop Beast X23 well not X23 uh Gabby aka Honey Badger for folks that are in the know and that stuff um I, they've done a fantastic job writing all these characters and really delivering their their shock and awe as they start to see reflections back into what was the original 616 I think this book is is probably the, one of the best of the Age of X-Men books and I really look forward to reading more about this and I, I just want to know um Peralta Alta's art is fucking fantastic um, from beginning to end in this series. I think every character is drawn in the, the, the their best that they've ever been in a long time. And I think that his, his take on Bishop is the best that I've seen in a while. And I'm talking better than the Gary Coleman electric company look that he had. I don't know if you guys have seen that comparison. <laughs> But it's mm-hmm. it's what? definitely out there. I'm I, I posted a link in the show notes and I'll put it in the show notes for this, but if you haven't seen this, for a while Bishop had a look that was clearly lifted off of this electric company photo of Gary Coleman as a train conductor and this is what Bishop looked like for like 20 <laughs> issues during a, an era of the X-Men. It's amazing. So, I just want to say I, I'm loving this series oh, and uh, I, I look forward to issue number four of Prisoner X. So, that's me. On the uh, on the Bishop front, do you, you know who Bishop was originally modeled after, right? I don't. Larry Stroman. The ex-artist. Mm. He had really? A, he had a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Willis Portacio originally wanted Bishop to be Filipino. Marvel editorial said no. So then he re- he drew him as African-American, and he based him on Larry Stroman, who had a massive, like, jerry-curled mullet at the time. That's no funny. Way. No way. Okay. Idea. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Which is actually why in his first appearance, he's wearing a jacket that has the Filipino flag on the back. Hmm. Man, oh. Dave, could you just keep coming with the tidbits? I really yeah. like that. That's really fun. <laughs> Dave provided our uh, The More You Know segment for today. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're deeply indebted. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> Before we start our discussion this week with the fantastic Dave Baker, I have to remind everyone that we have a zine out. Don't forget, we make an amazing zine, and you can get it for free, the digital copy at least, at ircbpodcast.com slash zine, or if you want to be just another fantastic human being, you could go to store.ircbpodcast.com and you can buy a copy of the fifth issue of the I Read Comic Book zine. We've got some really cool stuff in there, including a piece about why Paul thinks that Batman is a really optimistic person question mark exactly um it's it's a really great piece there's a bunch of other stuff nick re recounts his time going to c2e2 and there's a bunch of other really great things in there so if you haven't had a chance go to ircbpodcast.com slash zine and you can get a copy of that today 
on your phone or your computer, wherever you're listening. But anyways, let's get into things. Let's talk with Dave Baker. You've been here talking with us about comic books for a while. We had a really fun discussion about how you're a big history buff um, in the break when it comes to comics. Um, I guess to get things started, uh, so you're a big cartoonist. You've been you've been doing stuff for a while. What got you into comic books, man? Well, I guess the, the short answer is uh, as a kid, I kind of didn't understand the difference between prose books and books with pictures, and I was really obsessed with boy detectives, so nice. my mom got me a bunch of copies of Tintin from the library. <laughs> nice, and nice. It's, and it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's uh, it's the best medium ever created. Uh, I love it dearly, and um, uh, for better or for worse, I've been slaving away in the uh, <laughs> in the trenches for a long time. <laughs> So what made, what was the transition like to go from just a reader to an artist? Or were you like, as a little kid, just like constantly drawing your own comics and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I basically have always been drawing. Um, as a kid, I made a bunch of weird comics for characters that I made up. Uh, I also made shitty X-Men fan comics. Nice. I, uh, uh, I think I started self-publishing seriously when I was like probably 16, 17. Um, and I put out a, a couple books then. Then I put out two... OGNs in college, uh, and then um, started making my big kind of like, this is going to be my blankets style OGN, you know, <laughs> really, really, really long mm -hmm. personal book. And uh, uh, it kind of just killed me. I got like 150 pages in and then was just like, I can't, I just, ugh, ugh, this sucks. Not, the, not that the book sucks, just the process of making comics I was a little disillusioned with at that point. And uh I wanted to get paid to write, and no one wanted to do that, so I started writing um, movie stuff. Uh, I wrote for a commercial company for a while. I wrote for a film school, writing all of their infomercials for a while, and since then I've written um, some feature films and some uh, TV show episodes, and um, I've done a bunch of work for hire crazy like Roger Corman movies where they're like, all right, kid, you got three weeks to write this picture. See? And, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then I write the, and then I write the, the movie in three weeks and it's terrible, but uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, so I've been doing all that stuff the whole time and probably about four or five years ago, uh, I met Nicole Gu, who's my uh, partner and kind of re fell in love with making comics again. And we've been publishing stuff ever since. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I met the both of you guys uh, last year, year before at uh, Emerald City Comic Con. I picked up all three of the volumes, I think, that you had of the Fuck Off Squad and, and related books, and I grabbed your Fuck Stan Lee pin. I, I was very into the look and feel that you guys had, so I've been I've been really digging it. Like, where did where did something like Fuck Off Squad come? I should stop talking and let Paul and Nick jump in, but I'm, <laughs> I got all these questions in my head. I just got to know. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, you know, uh, I make a book called Action Hospital, and the first volume of that is a bunch of intertwining stories. Uh, and I met Nicole at a gallery opening and we became friends and kind of hit it off. And I was like, oh, you should make comics. And she was more of kind of like an editorial illustrator at the time. Uh, and she was like, well, I don't really know. And I was like, no, come on, it'll be fun. It'll be short. And uh, so I wrote like a just a little 10 page thing for her to do in Action Hospital. And uh, she really liked the, you know, the, the end result of having a finished comic. Uh, so then we were kind of trying to figure out what, what are we going to do next? You know, what's something that we can do that's maybe not tethered to this weird shared universe that I've created, something that would be just ours. 
and uh, she was drawing this like skater girl kind of over and over again in her in her sketchbook. And I was like, oh, let's let's do a slice of life like romance comic, but about skaters. And uh, that's kind of how the initial idea for Fuck Off Squad kind of gelled or whatever. Very cool. Yeah, uh, I I really enjoyed Fuck Off Squad. I picked up the uh, the collected volume here, and um, I mean, obviously, my first sort of uh, impression was I got a very heavy like Love and Rockets vibe from it, since it's a book about relationships, you know, and um, music and pop culture and stuff. But I really enjoyed the way that social media and music was presented in the book because I think capturing those things in a uh, visual format like comics is really tough. I mean, showing a band playing music in a silent medium is really difficult to portray the emotion and feeling there. And I think, you know, um, whatever the division of labor there between you and Nicole is, you really captured that in that book. Some really amazing um, moments there. And uh, the use of, you know, text messages and Instagram, incorporating that stuff into a narrative, I really appreciate the way you kind of blend that stuff together. Yeah, thank you. That, that means a lot. Um, yeah, I think uh, for better or for worse, this is the kind of dumb shit that I spend my days thinking about of like how <laughs> how to formally integrate mechanics into uh comics and how mm-hmm. like what are the what are the shortcomings of the medium and how can you use that as an advantage or what are the upsides of the medium and how can you lean into them yeah um and specifically the the thing you're talking about the we nicole and i always call it the phone mechanic i, I, don't, I don't really know what else to call it but we basically the the books you know tend to have like a nine panel grid to mm-hmm. them and uh we were she was working on one of the nine panel grids at one point and I walked by and I uh, looked at it and I was like, you know, the focal point of that page is the middle panel. Um, and so we, sh- we, we should have an actual cell phone as that panel because the nine panel grid, those panels are almost the shape of a cell phone. And yeah. then we could like have on the screen what the people are texting each other. And she was like, oh yeah, it could totally work. And then, and then she was like, oh yeah. And then we could almost make a diamond shape. So like panels one, three, six, uh, seven, and nine could all be panels. And then I was like, yeah, and then we could do an inverse of that. And so a lot of our conversations are like dumb formalist, like almost like the mathematics of comics of like mm-hmm. how, how something visually uh, gets read uh, by the reader. And that was, that's something that the the phone mechanic thing is, I think, something that a lot of people respond to just because yeah. for better or for worse, God, phones are a, a part of our everyday life now. <laughs> yeah. right. right. I mean, right. I, I don't what? want to, I really don't think you should call it dumb because that is the coolest fucking explanation I've ever heard in my life. Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> the, like the what you just described is like the mechanics of a, a comic page like that takes a lot of brain power <laughs> like i don't want you to cut yourself down man that's all i'm saying because that's fucking cool stuff to me dude oh thank you yeah uh i yeah i i like i said for better or for worse this is what i spend my time thinking about and uh i think a lot of the stuff in the book you know as you mentioned it's it's kind of like both of us where mm-hmm. there's a there is a division of labor in that i'm the writer and she's the illustrator but also it kind of doesn't necessarily work that way because it's so much of a back and forth give and take like it's not Marvel style, you know, like there right, is a full, right. there is a full script with panel breakdowns and a beginning, middle and end. But there's also, there's so much more that it, it would be hard to kind of codify that unless I was literally sitting there with the book and going, oh yeah, that idea was like 100% Nicole. This idea was me. That idea was Nicole mm-hmm. because so much of the book is like her sitting there with the script and then being like, you know what? I feel like this would work better on a page turn because this is a reveal and it needs to be on the top left hand uh, 
it needs to be on the left-hand page on the top of it so that when you turn the page, it's, it actually has impact as opposed to bottom right or like this page turn doesn't work. You know, you wrote this splash page to be on the right-hand side. It needs to be on the left. Uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, um, in, in fact, in Fever Coast, you know, at, at, by that point, Fever Coast is the third chapter of the Fuck Off Squad stuff. And at, at that point, Nicole and I had been making stuff together for so long that there were this, the sequence where Sanvi and, and Clark are like driving down the, the Pacific Coast Highway going to the beach. Um, it's this kind of like very decompressed, somber, like wind in the hair kind of moment. And in the script, I, li- I think I literally just wrote, yeah, here, do some, some shit for like two or three pages. I, you, I know you know what this should be. It's just like sad and like hair blowing in the wind. And right. like all of the actual stuff that's depicted in those pages is like 100% her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's funny. I was actually going to point to that moment because I really enjoyed that part of the, the story quite a bit. That that you go from one page where it is, you know, a scene of the ocean and a bunch of like smaller panels, and then the page reveal is like that double page spread of them in the car together. And it's such a it's a striking moment. And yeah, you can tell exactly what the emotion is supposed to be there without any words. It's it's a great sequence. Yeah, and I think uh, you know also like when Nicole and I met each other, we were both kind of in transitional phases in our lives. You know, like. Uh, both personally and professionally, we were we were both trying to figure some things out. And specifically for that book, the Fever Coast, like on the beach thing. I mean, I don't want to speak for her, but for me personally, like Nicole and I really became friends at this big kind of like, I guess a beach party, I guess is how you would describe it. It was like a bunch of our friends on the beach and there was like a fire pit. Um, <laughs> and there's, there's, there's something specifically about the kind of infinite potential of when you make a new friend or you meet a new person or a new group of people where you it's this simultaneously like scary and exhilarating thing and also there's something about like the yawning chasm of potential that is the beach and like ocean at night um where you it, it gives you a sense of perspective it's like looking at the stars and realizing that you're just this like blip in the in the cosmos and basically you know it could be uh, kind of soul crushing because nothing (laughs) is going to matter right but also at the same time like you're only going to be here for a limited amount of time so like live life and make it the most you can while you're here and that's i think that that scene right there for me personally is that book in a nutshell and also the 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 kind of name fever coast is that's the the closest i could get to like having some sort of like verbiage that associates with that feeling. Like I, mm. yeah, I don't, I'm feel like I'm rambling now. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah. No, completely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Nick, you want to jump in here? Cause I really, Paul and I are dominating now. Well, it's okay. <laughs> like I, I, I haven't read fuck off squad, uh, yet. Um, mainly because of my aversion to swearing. I'm just kidding. Um, I haven't read it yet. So I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to weigh in on that. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll talk about all sorts of other things I've I don't know anything about, but for some reason I, I didn't want to touch that. Um, yeah, uh, one thing I wanted to say, and I know this is the dreaded convention um, preface, but uh, not really a question. This is just a comment. Um, right from the get go, I just want to say thank you, Dave, for like right out of the front of the book in Action Hospital having a very clear and concise credits page, which very explicitly lays out who did what for what issue like it pisses me off endlessly so much when a book begins and it's like these are the three people that wrote parts of it and these are the seven people that did art we won't tell you where and when you'll just uh have to figure that out yourself and uh, 
when you're like doing a podcast or when you're writing an article or when you're reporting about something and you actually care about getting that shit right, it's just so endlessly frustrating to see people not spell things out like you did there. So yeah, I know it's a small thing, but I totally appreciate that. Um, so, no, so yeah, thank you for I, that. I, uh, I just appreciate the fact that you uh, care about those things because I think so often, uh, and I think it's a cancer in comics journalism, uh, although low-key comics journalism doesn't exist and it's kind of low-key dead, but whatever, moving on. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's exactly the point. I mean, yeah. we could have a whole discussion about how maybe people have destroyed that to a point that it's not even a thing, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, CBR, Newsarama, comicbook.com, they're all just, like, slideshows that you, like, click through factoids and shit, and it's so frustrating. Listicles, and, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think specifically the thing that's so irksome to me as both a writer and an illustrator is that people deserve credit for their work. And yep. also it's, it's not a movie. Like it's not, there is no auteur theory of comics. Like if you gave uh, a Mark Miller script to Jeffrey Brown, that's going to be a fundamentally <laughs> different thing than if you gave it. <laughs> let's, to let's make Brad that happen. Hitch. I mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but you know what I mean? Like so many times people are just like, Oh yeah. Ed Brubaker's criminal. Like mm. what? <laughs> I'm, I mean, I love that book. I like Ed Brubaker as a writer, but he's, He's not that book. Like that book is both of them. Mm-hmm. Like right. it's so it's so frustrating to me that the the level of um kind of writer dominance has gotten to the point where it's just like, oh yeah, um, so uh this guy spent fifteen minutes writing a twenty page script and this guy spent uh three weeks laboriously drawing it, but the guy who spent twenty minutes gets all the credit. Right. right. And then and then even with the people who are, you know, acknowledging the penciler or acknowledging the colorist or whatever, so many times you just want to sit down and have a conversation with those people where it's like, yes, this guy drew it, but there was an active collaboration and conversation with the writer. Like, the penciler doesn't exist just as a tool to evoke or bring about the writers. Anyway, you know all this and... It's just... Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I completely agree 100%. Um, we're now best friends. Uh, let's go on a road trip together. <laughs> See, what's, what's really interesting to me about all that is it's it's problematic in the like journalism sense where it's like they only credit the writer and artist, for instance, right? There's also colorists if and you're letterers lucky. and flatterers. If you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. But that was the point that I'm getting to. Like, for instance, I tried to find any, as much information as I could about this Age of Apocalypse Prisoner X number four. And you know what? Every single page that is created by Marvel says, Vida Ayala, Herman Peralta. That's it. I know there's an inker. I know that there's a colorist in there somewhere, but I don't have the book in my hand to actually be able to say that. So in order for me to, quote unquote, do my reporting or to discuss it with you guys, that's the only credit I can give. It's such a bummer that like when it comes to some publishers, because this isn't true for all publishers, but a lot of times, big two, um, they'll only cite like the writer and the penciler. They won't cite other people in their news articles. And then when the issue comes out, everyone gets their full credit. But it's just like, it's a bummer because if you're trying to talk about the color work in a book, and you don't have a name you just say question mark colorist it's 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 garbage i think it's it's really interesting because i think when it comes to like smaller press stuff um usually the credit is very explicit um and i think dave i I was actually going to try to segue into that like is that something that you kind of go out of your way to do to make sure that there is clear recognition as to who's doing what in your books yeah yeah i i do and also a lot of times i i think it's kind of silly that writers get top billing. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like in, in the books I do with Nicole, her name is over mine because mm-hmm. I think it, it's just a simple time thing. Like the yeah. person who spends the most time making the book should have their name first. 
Do you guys remember when DC was inverting that for what were they calling those books, like the New Tomorrow books or whatever from like a year ago, where they mm-hmm. were inverting it? Doc Shainer was appearing before Jeff Lemire and all of that, and it was a nice gesture, I guess. But yeah, I think it's also just kind of it that drives the point home even more, as opposed to doing it line wide they had a little fiefdom of like four books but they're like i guess we'll give the artists these are these are uh you know you know penciler oriented books or whatever or whatever yeah i think we all kind of saw through it (laughs) yeah although i will say you know what i respect dc for trying a bunch of stuff like Recently, you know, they have this DC Ink line, DC yeah. Zoom. They're they have the Walmart exclusive books. Uh, they're they've just announced a partnership with Target. Like they're trying things. Um, right. I don't like everything they're trying, and I don't like the way that they're trying it. Like you know, some of those DC Ink and DC Zoom books, like the writer's name is the top third, and then mm-hmm. at the bottom it says illustrated by so and so. Like that's that's right. bullshit to me. Like that sucks. Um, but they're not all, they're not all that way. There are a couple that are, you know, the, the books are even like, you know, the the names are even. Well, on, on the topic of creator attribution, I feel like it's almost inevitable that we talk about, um, I mean, from what I gleaned from, from Googling you a couple times, Dave, I know how much you love, uh, Stanley. It's undeniable. I'm pretty sure you have like a YouTube supercut of all of his cameos just so you can watch those like seven minutes every every day before you go to bed or, or something like that that's what i that's what i watch every day before i go to bed I just <laughs> i just watch i just watch him going true believer true believer true believer <laughs> so it, it made me wonder it made me think um on, on the flip side of maybe stanley i say maybe um taking credit for things which he had no business taking credit for um who who are some people that you would say are kind of the un, your own personal unsung heroes of of comics that you feel are are doing a lot of work but maybe aren't being uh noticed are there any people you want to plug yeah so you're you're not talking about historical figures you're talking about people working living or dead they they can be historical if you want them to be they can be actively working right now i you know i'm not going to okay. delineate that all right uh i think yeah i there's a, I have so many. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'll do a couple historical and then a couple modern people. Uh, so historical people that I think are deserving of more respect. Uh, number one is Carl Burgos, who's the guy who created the original Human Torch um, that okay. Marvel's, mm-hmm. Marvel stole and then Stan Lee literally stole for Fantastic Four stuff. Because um, uh, Carl Burgos is one of the, like, I think pioneering comics illustrators and that he doesn't really get a lot of credit because he was kind of there before a lot of the things that have been that have gone past comics but at the Mm -hmm. time like you know the human torch was a huge deal in comics at the time it was visually arresting it's i mean it's the cover of marvel comics number one for fuck's sake right right um like you know you could make an argument that without him and bill everett there would be no marvel comics because Mm -hmm. human torch and 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 namor were like you know, the, the the flagpoles of the initial timely slash Atlas slash Marvel publishing slate. Like they really they really helped this boom of superhero stuff happen. Um, uh, I think Bill Everett also is just amazing. And I think Bill Everett gets a lot of. I think he gets a lot of shit in old timey comics circles, specifically because I don't think he was a very nice man. <laughs> like I've read, I've read, I've read a lot of things about him where he seems kind of, um, you know, like he was an alcoholic and he had, he had some, some issues as an individual. And, and I'm not, 
I'm not saying that those things aren't true, but I am saying that in this specific case, um, I think the the separation of the art and the artist is always something that's very difficult for me. And um, not that I'm saying that I can even do it 100% with him, but I think when you look at the work that he was generating in that time period, the level of craft in those illustrations, the level of attention to anatomy, the level of time put in when most people were like, and I'm not even joking, like literally spending 45 minutes or an hour on a page. And he's <laughs> making these lavish illustrations where people have rendered fur and like, you know, I just, I think there's something to be said for, you know, he, if he had been a newspaper strip guy, as opposed to a comic book guy, he would have been up there with Milton Kniff and Windsor McKay and all of these very famous and lauded illustrators from that time period but because he had the misfortune of you know falling into the asshole of the universe which was comics like he just <laughs> is is nearly completely forgotten um mm-hmm. which sucks um because i think even even the, the 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 common memory of namor isn't bill everett's namor it's jack kirby's namor which i love right. like jack yeah. jack kirby is obviously another person i would point to but i feel like everybody knows jack kirby's great like i'm not <laughs> You know, I'm not, I've done I've done my part in beating the Jack Kirby drum. Like I'm not right. Um, yeah. Um, in terms of modern people who are deserving of more recognition, um, I think uh, there's a lot of really cool people making indie comics right now that are um, self-producing stuff and not waiting for someone else to anoint them as capable of of telling their story. Um, and that's something that I personally have struggled with. Like as I mentioned previously, when I was working on that big giant like 150 page book that kind of like made me fall out of love with comics for a minute. Um, that's what I was looking for. Like internally, I wanted, I wanted someone to anoint me as like, okay, you're officially making comics. Cause I had been just self publishing and like dumping time and energy into this void of rejection and no one giving a shit for like, whatever that is, five years, 10 years. And I have so much respect for people who just don't give a fuck about external validation and march to the beat of their own drum and make their own shit specifically um there's an illustrator named opal pence who makes a comic called temi which is about an anthropomorphic deer woman um in this kind of like fantasy world and like the majority of the comic is written in a fake language that Mm. is like completely made up and you know i mean her her, it's you know little dots and squiggles and shit but it's like it's a silent comic where everyone is speaking this other language um and it's really really cool her art style is super idiosyncratic um, and, and very, um, I always am very, I'm very drawn when to, uh, comics made by people who look like they're making a comic that has never, uh, been influenced by something else. And like her artistic illustration style is like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like if you took street, like Japanese street fashion and like, uh, anthropomorphic eighties cartoons and like. Rumiko Takahashi and like shoved them all together in a blender or something, but that doesn't even come anywhere near close to, you know, describing it. I think she's, I just think she's making really, really rad stuff. Um, also there's a guy, uh, in Chicago named, um, Matt Allison, who's making a book called Kankor, um, which is just batshit crazy. And I love it so much. It's, uh, this kind of weird, stream of consciousness deliberation on the nature of creativity uh, about this this like lonesome superhero without a face named Kankor flying through space 
basically like thinking about what it means to be creative and it, mm. he like fights other versions of himself that are also Kankor that but they're all spelled differently it's just insane it's it's wow. i i don't even know how to explain it and it's all intercut with kind of like autobio short stories of Matt Allison struggling with alcoholism in like the late 90s early 2000s and wanting to be a creative person and kind of failing and losing his way and he gets visited by this this character this Kankor character and there's a there's a scene in one of the issues where he's at a house party and he's drunk and there's like a band playing and he's kind of being an asshole and um he like looks over in the corner and the Kankor character is like in the house and he starts crying and he like starts crawling across the floor towards Kankor and he keeps saying like save me save me please save me and Kankor like just kind of turns away from him and then like dispassionately floats up through the ceiling and I think that's just such a beautiful metaphor for like what so many people have to go through to make comics. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, I could keep going. I, I don't know how long you want me to keep rambling about <laughs> dumb shit that I like, but yeah, those are, those are some people that I definitely, whenever, whenever she puts out a comic or whenever he puts out a comic, I immediately buy it. Oh, also Kelly Quang. I think Kelly Quang is one of the most uh, brilliant illustrators currently living. Uh, she did an issue of frontier uh, and she has a, a line of a fashion line of t-shirts and sweatshirts and apparel um, called Space Cadets, uh, Youth Space Cadets. And uh, I just think that her graphic sensibility, her um, understanding of the of the language of visual mechanics that have a crossover in comics like computer screens, video game stuff, um, anime uh, influenced figures and fashion. Like I just I love Kelly Quang's work as well. I think she's I wish she was a bazillionaire. I wish she had like, I wish she had 75 trillion followers on Instagram. <laughs> gotcha. I mean, it, that was actually, that kind of leads into something that I, I was going to ask. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're talking about a lot of like self-published folks, um, people that are distributing like online um, or maybe at conventions. Like what's your, what's your mindset when you're going from like uh, a big convention, like something like C2E2, where there's just this massive amount of people to maybe smaller press events, like an SPX or something like that. I don't know what, what your convention scene is like. Could you maybe like talk us through like how you tour across the country with that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as I previously said, Nicole and I make stuff together. We've published probably about 12 comics, you know, graphic novel-y things, whatever you want to call them. I really hate that term, but, you know, <laughs> 12 perfect bound books, I guess, or something. I don't know. Whatever. Um, and so, yeah, we, we tour. Um, a couple years ago, we did, like, 40 fucking shows in one year. Oh, my God. Which was, oh, my Lord. Yeah, it sucked. It sucked. Um, <laughs> now, we, we, we pull it back now. Um, you know, Nicole's doing a, a big project for uh, a big work fire project for you know one of the big two um that just got announced um mm -hmm. she's doing a she's drawing a shadow of the batgirl for dc comics um oh, cool. i saw and, the promo for that yeah 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 uh you know she's uh she's so partly due to that because you know when, when it comes to do you want to tour across the country or do you want to actually make the thing like <laughs> we've we she's drawing that and then i'm drawing a book right now so we both have uh, chosen to maybe, you know, go from 40 shows to like 15 shows. <laughs> <laughs> a little more manageable. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we do, we do a mix of things. Um, we do 
you know, we do a bunch of the read pop shows like Emerald City, New York, Chicago. Uh, we do um, we do Heroes Con. Uh, we do, and then we do a bunch of the kind of like more indie centric shows like uh, uh, Small Press Expo, Toronto, uh, Toronto Comics Arts Festival, Vancouver uh, Comics Arts Festival, um, LA Zine Fest, um, and then of course we have a we have a big booth at. Um, at San Diego Comic Con, which is kind of the Super Bowl of comics, for better or for worse. Right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, did I answer your question? I feel like I'm. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I think that 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 like hits it because if you're if you're doing a mix, I guess like the the second part of that is you know what's your approach for those cons? Is it always like the same? Are you still presenting things the same way you would at San Diego versus SPX, or are you bringing different stuff for the different audiences? Because I know that yeah. those are like very different crowds in some cases. Yeah, they, they really are. And I think the, the thing, I think it's basically the same setup. We bring all the same stuff more or less. Um, you know, some shows we bring more apparel, some shows we bring less apparel because I don't know if you guys have ever tried to lug t-shirts and sweatshirts across the country, but it, <laughs> kind of a bummer um, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but i think the the main thing with that stuff is like at indie shows there's less of a like a street preacher mentality and more of a hey you already like these things let me just tell you about my thing you know like at emerald right. city i love emerald city and it is a very book oriented crowd but it's a mainstream venue and there's a lot of people there who are just there to fucking see jason and momoa and that's great. I want them to get their picture with Jason Momoa, but then I want them to come to Artist Alley and I want to talk to them and convince them that comics is the greatest art form ever created and this is why they should read mine. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very passionate about that. And I, uh, you know, sometimes in Artist Alley, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard gig. It's physically debilitating. Uh, you're not sleeping. You're not eating. Uh, and a lot of people just want to sit there and like have people come to them. And I'm very proactive about it. And I... Nicole and I always stand. We always hand people books. We mm-hmm. always say, hey, hi, my name's Dave. This is what I made. This is why I made it. And I think you might like it. Or, you know, if, if it's obviously not something somebody wants, I'm not going to cold pitch them because I'm not, I'm not, try- I'm not like a fucking car salesman, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, That's when Dave gets, gets out from behind his booth and starts following you around to other booths because, yeah. uh, <laughs> because everyone loves that. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I've been on both sides of that, you know. I yeah. I've had that happen where people are really aggressively trying to convince me that their Oof. comic is just like the it, what I need in my life is vampire back pussy slayer or whatever. And I'm like, I don't, yeah. man, this isn't what I like. Please leave me alone. So I I get it, <laughs> but I but I also I think there's something to be said for the fact that we have so much opportunity at these conventions right now because it is so much of a quote unquote mainstream thing. And there's so many people who don't know anything about comics and would love comics if they just were exposed to the right one that it, I take it very seriously and I try to comport myself with, um, with a sense of responsibility of, of um, that the medium needs more representatives, you know, like the, the medium itself needs people to go out and, and, you know, literally be a street preacher and say, look, like this is a this is the highest art form that we've arrived at in America. Like it's an endemically mm-hmm. American art form. And because of Frederick Wortham and the fucking HUAC trials in the fucking 50s, like it just got fucked. And it's it's our responsibility to try and breathe new life into it because it's it's such an immediate thing. Anybody anywhere can make a comic. Like if you have a piece of paper and a fucking pencil, you can make a comic and that thing could go on to be your lasting legacy. Like think about how many 
fine art painters made a a drawing or a painting that went on and is now in the Louvre. You know, mm-hmm. fucking Van Gogh didn't he didn't sell a single painting in his entire life, and right. now he's like the the most famous artist in the world. And my 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 goal is that someday there will be a story like that for comics because right now we it's the medium is in a growing pains situation where it's at you know for a long time comics was uh struggling with the art versus commerce debate you know of like well comics that are in black and white don't sell well comics that don't have spider-man in them don't sell and now we're seeing things like Raina tegelmeyer and dave pickley's comics selling millions and millions and millions of copies and people realize that there is money in it and now is a real like concrete opportunity to change hearts and minds and to go out and be like hey Comics are the fucking best. You should read them. You know, Housewife in Des Moines. Like, there's a comic for you somewhere. Right. Like, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's not just a comic. There are multiple comics. Uh, you know, and 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 yeah, I, I feel very passionate about uh, the 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 fact that the the medium um, got a short change for a really long time, and we're finally at a place culturally where people are a little bit more accepting of it. And I think we need to. Seize the day. Carpe diem, motherfucker. Read some comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that's, I, I agree with you 100%. And it was interesting going to Emerald City and getting that vibe. I think as someone that grew up reading comics at the at the speculator boom in the early 90s and seeing the almost collapse completely as a result of that, like going through Artist Alley, seeing your books, seeing the variety of stuff out there, I feel like in some senses... Uh, the, maybe not in terms of uh, money being generated, but in terms of content, comics are healthier than they've ever been. Like, it's such an exciting time to be a fan. But what's that next step? How do you get people that aren't already tuned into that aware of them? And I think that that's kind of the struggle you're hinting at there. Yeah, it definitely is. But I think also, like, the graphic novel market is a billion-dollar industry. Like, right. the, di- yeah. the direct market has problems with a capital P. Like that shit is fucked. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that everything is perfect and that we live in a, you know, you know, whatever, a perfect world. But like, there's a small part of me that's just like, if the direct market dies, fuck it, whatever. We have a bunch of Star Spider-Man comics. Who gives a shit? Like, I want to see the new things. I want to see, you know, Randy Tegelmeyer is awesome. But what comes after that? You know, like I was reading on the beat like last year. Dave Pickley's Dogman cop, uh, comic sold like 2.7 million copies. Yeah. And that's and in terms of mainstream media, that's nothing. Like, you know, it's that's not that's not even like one Marvel movie. But still, <laughs> it's a fucking book and and it it it's a comic and it's changing the perception for for the next generation and that's so exhilarating to me because as somebody who grew up with like I can distinctly remember going to the doctor and having to talk to the doctor about health stuff and then be like oh yeah what do you what do you do i'm like oh i'm a i'm a comics artist and he goes oh that's a lost art and he's like <laughs> oh, jesus jesus like are you fucking kidding me they come <laughs> out every wednesday like every wednesday <laughs> they come out like i just and i i feel like i haven't gotten that oh that's a lost art in a long time and right. i that mm-hmm. I, I never mm-hmm. want anyone who is trying to make comics or be creative to ever hear oh your thing doesn't matter like if if there's a fucking like crochet network of like people who are trying to make cool weird crochet bullshit, I want the culture to be like, oh yeah, that's cool. Crocheting is dope. Like I don't know anything about crochet. I just picked this at random, but I just feel like culturally, America uh, has. It, we're, I just I just I want us to be uh, more open to that kind of stuff and not just think that movies are the only art form that matters.
definitely. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, that you're sort of kind of shifting the framework of, of success and the future of comics, because I feel like for the past couple of years, whenever anybody asks, like, um, what is the future of comics? How can we ensure that there is a future of comics? Like, where where does that come from? It's this idea that, like, well, the Marvel movies are successful, so all we have to do is get all of those people to go home and buy a Spider-Man trade, and then people are asking, well, is that happening? And then the results come back, and they seem to suggest, well, no, it's not happening. And so I, I appreciate that you're saying, like, that, like, that is not the one supposed path to a future that's not the one supposed path to to uh, in an insured existence like i completely agree that it's uh it's uh, like a lot of this money a lot of these copies it's all scholastic um yeah and, 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 yeah, and yeah. also and also kickstarter like you look at what yeah. Yeah. trotman has done like she's raised over a million dollars to print comics that most "Quote unquote prestige publishers would think were empirically non-commercial, gay romance stories, porn, uh, comics that look like they were made by someone on the internet. Like most of the time, Image, Marvel, DC, you name it, they're gonna think that that is anathema to their current reader base because it is because their reader base is fucking, you know, aging white dudes. But comics can be so much more than that, and I and I I love the fact that Spike has gone out and blazed a trail and said." Fuck all of that shit. I'm going to do it myself. And now we're seeing people like Ryan Sands, like like Kevin Chap, like all, uh, you know, uh, my publisher for Fuck Off Squad, Silver Sprocket. Like there are all these people who started as an individual and were like, I really like this specific thing. I'm going to put it out and see what happens. And then it gains a little bit of a following. And then you're able to parlay that into, you know, a, a, a somewhat mover shaker in the indie comics space. And I, I just I think that. I wish we had 50 more C-Spike Trotmans and 50 more, you know, Silver Sprockets um, because they're doing good work and they're they're each in their own specified lane, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if you're... Like, this this last weekend we were at, at LA Zine Fest and this, uh, you know, young person, probably, I, I don't know how old they were, probably 15, came up to the table and they were like, hey, I read Fuck Off Squad. I loved it so much. They, they you know, they talked to us for 15 minutes about it and I was like, oh, what, what other comics do you read? And they said, oh, yeah, I just read Silver Sprocket comics. That's it, period. Mm. That's all I care about because they, they speak to my, like, you know, anti-capitalist punk rock roots. That, that, that's all I give a shit about is, like, just Silver Sprocket stuff. And I, I wish that there was so many more stories like that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. so many of these larger publishers are so concerned with um, uh, – they're so much – they're so concerned with IP mining and – fucking over creators and taking movie rights on the off chance that one of their books becomes marginally successful so they can parlay it into a shitty Hulu series that nobody's publishing comics with an actual identity and a voice and something to say. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's vital for the sustained health of the medium is to make shit that's unlike anybody else. Like, if there's a comic that doesn't look like any other comic, that's a reason to publish it. Right. Not a reason right. not to publish right. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of that, books that don't feel or look like anything else, uh, do you want to maybe give us a rundown of Action Hospital? I don't think we've spent much time talking about that. Uh, want to give us the elevator pitch, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Action Hospital is kind of like, I always describe it as Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind beats Venture Brothers set in a hospital. So it's about a... Okay. Uh, it's about a, a place uh, that services otherworldly people and, and things with extreme needs. Um, it's kind of about grief, 
trauma, depression, trying to uh, move through things, and then dumb shit like werewolf koalas, ten-headed demons, uh, Hell yeah. laser swords, you know. <laughs> Hell yeah. You know, the, the, the good <laughs> stuff. The good stuff. Um, and uh, the, there's three 200-plus page volumes. Um, the initial volume, Future's a Strange Place, I wrote the entirety of and I drew about half of. Um, and the other characters in the hospital... Um, everybody, every illustrator is paired with a, an artist and whenever they show up, they're always, um, you know, whenever the character shows up, they're always drawn by the same person. So sometimes there's like all six of us drawing on one page together. Whoa. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I draw a character named Joan Michelle Basquiat, who's kind of a, uh, nurse in the hospital who's trying to navigate if she really wants to work in this hospital where her dad got her this job, or if she wants to leave and try and become a, a musician, um, and then there's probably about seven other characters um, uh, who are paired with individual illustrators. The individual illustrators include Robert Negretti, Nicole Gu, uh, Clay Merle, um, Sabrina Degert. Uh, I know I'm forgetting people. Um, the guy with the Kirby style that I can't. Oh yes, his. yeah, Jake. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, J H uh, Hammer. Uh, JQ Hammer, Jesus Christ, my friend's name, and I can't remember his name. J, JQ Hammer. Um, uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a bunch of them, and I'm I'm apologizing to everyone right now who I forget. Uh, Kat Yee, um, Nick Diaz, a bunch of other people. Doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter. But you know what I'm saying. Like, everybody, <laughs> yeah. everybody, everybody works in tandem, and they draw their their own character. And um, you know, most of the characters um, they have their their they have kind of like an arc through the book. Um, and, uh, I drew the entirety of the second book all myself. It's about 275 pages. Uh, and then the third book, uh, I penciled the entirety of, and Erwin Papa, who's a very gifted illustrator. Um, he inked it all and did a, a, a great job. Yeah. Um, yeah. How long did it take you to draw issue 17? Because oh, reading that issue, I was getting stressed for you because of <laughs> I was like with every page I was like oh my god there's mo- there's more crowd Dave what's going on there's more yeah. crowds in this 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 page yeah yeah I um I like drawing crowd scenes they I uh there there is something about the monastic side of creating comics that I um find very um addicting where I really mm. I love the i and i also hate it i love and hate the i'm gonna now not sleep for three days and draw this massive crowd scene and when i am done i'm gonna step back and be like ah that looks fucking dope Um, (laughs) well it must be so different when it's something that you've i guess self-imposed as opposed to asking someone else to do it i guess yeah uh, i would yeah that must be like i mean that's a real you know difference there yeah if if there was if i ever worked with a writer and they were like, draw a crowd scene. I'd be like, no, no, I, I don't want to do that. No, um, I didn't receive this email. Let's try this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that that issue was really fun to draw. Um, partly because of the crowd scene stuff, and then also partly because of the the layouts in that issue. Um, oh, yeah. I I feel like uh, that was the beginning of the kind of like um, I do a lot of work with uh, tons of small panels. I was going to say, like, you really love inset panels, I could tell. I was like, Dave, what's going on here, too? I was, I was like, that's... I mean, I, I, when, I, when I saw that, it instantly made me think of um, 
Andre- Andrea Sorrentino does the same did the same thing with like Green Green Arrow. There was so many of those, and I was like, hmm, reminds me of that. Yeah, uh, the again one of the you know things that I kind of don't like about comics is that when it, when something is writer driven, you tend to get comics that are a grid. And I love grids, and the comic I'm making right now is a full like the whole thing is nine panel grids. Um, but there's something to be said for the medium has more to offer than a nine panel grid. Like mm-hmm. it's like, or just grids in general. It, it, you know, I, I really like, um, density and I like, um, kind of almost like a wall of sound approach. Mm-hmm. Like I know Matt, Matt Fraction in in the supplemental materials on, on Casanova talks about how Phil Spector's approach to producing records where it was a wall of sound where, you know, you would have multi, multi, multi tracks of, maybe even the same instrument playing the same note just to kind of overwhelm the viewer. Um, there, there is something or the listener, there's something about that where, uh, whatever it is about that kind of sensation, um, that really clicks with me. Like some of my favorite comics are, you know, hyper dense, hyper detailed, um, you know, Jeff Darrow esque, you must like uh, James Stoko then. Right? Love, love, yeah, love Stoko. <laughs> I love, uh, I love Brian Talbot's early work. Um, I love uh, anybody, uh, J. H. Williams III. Like, uh, I love his kind of like um, shotgun approach to uh, double page spreads, where yeah. everything <laughs> has, you know, the panels are very design oriented, and there's a flow to them, and they work. At, uh, you know, a, a hundred thousand foot view, a 30,000 foot view and right, you know, with your face against the, the page. Um, I, yeah, there's something to be said for, uh, I, I just, I love, I love when you can feel the person on the other end of the page, like shunting all of their energy through the page at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it's, it's almost kind of the, the opposite of somebody who's just kind of showing up and they are drawing the scene, but there's no internal momentum. There's no kind of like personal identity in the drawing of a face. Um, and that, that's something that I try and strive for a lot. It's like, is like, what is the maximalist version of this idea? Um, even if it's a small intimate moment, like in that same issue, I think it's 17, the one where Joan uh, picks up the guitar at the end of it, there's a big like, kind of S shape that's made out of all these little panels that she, she's like plucking, plucking a guitar and there's all these little, like this giant kind of cloud of uh, serpentine panels coming up out of the guitar. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> there's something like each one of those panels means something to me because, you know, spoiler alert for better or for worse, basically I am Joan <laughs> and there's that, that comic is a really personal comic for me. And I put a lot of myself and my experiences and, and my hopes and fears and desires for the world into action hospital. And, um, uh, the, the visual representation of all of those things is, uh, is like a coded message. And I like my goal, I guess, in making comics is that there's almost like a these comics serve as a Rosetta Stone for who I am as a person. And so, you know, years after I'm gone, somebody will find this in a, you know, a dusty back issue bin somewhere and be like, oh, wow, look at this motif of this ear. I wonder where this ear comes from. I wonder if this is based on somebody 
I wonder who this person is and then try and do research and figure out who the fuck that year is based on or you know you know what I mean mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's a that's a maybe that's a self-aggrandizing way of looking at things <laughs> but it definitely uh I I uh, yeah making a Rosetta Stone for who I am as a person is is not an uh, inappropriate uh summation of most of my work gotcha <laughs> interesting huh uh, well, I, man, we, I've, we've got so many other questions here, but we, we are recording so long. We're running out of tape, digital tape here on the internet. I hate to cut this short. Dave, we'll have to have you come back to answer the, re- the rest of these questions we've got because, man, oh, man, you, you've only sparked more questions in my head about the stuff that you're working <laughs> on. Um, can you, I guess, can you tell us a little bit about the project you have coming up before we wrap things up here? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm working on a, uh, a comic called uh, Mary Tyler Moorhawk. It's a girl adventurer, kind of Nancy Drew style comic, um, it, kind of in the vein of Ashton Hospital stuff, but a little bit more standalone. It's its own self-contained four-issue miniseries. Um, I am uh, towards the end of issue four, making it right now. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm drawing, writing and uh, drawing it. And uh, it's all nine panel grids because I, I, I basically did the same. I did the reverse of what we just talked about where... I started seeing the stylistic proclivities of when I would use those, you know, kind of like tons and tons of panels. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take that away from myself and see what it does. Um, Mm. So the whole, the whole thing more or less is, is nine panel grids. um, And I'm very excited about it. Cool, man. Well, where, where can people try to find that stuff when it comes out? Is it just all on Uh, your website or somewhere else? Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't know yet. Um, I, it's either going to be picked up by a publisher or I'm going to do a Kickstarter for it. One of the two. Gotcha. Um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see. Cause even though I'm almost done drawing it, then I have the laborious task of lettering it and coloring it (laughs) and dealing with it. You know, it's it for better or for worse. It's, it's a long fucking road to make comics. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, I look very much forward to checking that out when it comes out, um, as well as actually picking up a copy of Action Hospital, which I thought I did. So I'm sorry. I'll read it and I'll, I'll get back to you, Dave, and we'll have you come back and we can talk more about it. Um, but I guess for the people out there who want to get a hold of you or check out the rest of your stuff, where can they find you on the Internet? Yeah, um, you can find me either on my website, heydavebaker.com or on Instagram, uh, xdavebakerx, where I post uh, time lapses and progress drawings for Mary Tyler Moorhawk the book that i'm working on right now um uh yeah yeah cool and then keep an eye out at your local comic convention because dave may be may be there uh (laughs) yeah yeah i definitely will be yeah (laughs) that sounds great well um i guess you can follow the rest of the show on twitter you can follow nick at death star plans you can follow paul at oh hi Polly. you can follow me at mike rappin and you can follow the show at ircb podcast where i've been trying to post all sorts of fun stuff and don't forget to check out our zine it's got a beautiful beautiful cover by shannon murphy um i really really love it if you haven't seen it i posted on our instagram uh, on friday i think it's absolutely wonderful and you can get that at ircbpodcast.com slash zine you can also check out patreon.com slash ircbpodcast uh thank you everybody that's supporting us over there uh your support really does help the show survive uh, if you join you can get access to our patreon only episodes including mike and paul read the x uh read doom patrol um so that's really enjoyable over there and get access to our top of our pile lists and so much more also check out our goodreads group it's a community of comic book friends who talk about comics what they've been reading uh, what they're excited to read and this week's thread was uh discussing beautiful darkness which was last month's book of the month 
You can also check out rcbpodcast.com. That's where we have show notes, links to every episode, uh, merchandise, zines you can buy, and most importantly, our comic book creator pronunciation guide. So check that out over there. We would really, really love it if you would go ahead and rate and subscribe, whether it's on Stitcher, whether it's on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about the show, share the show. If you haven't rated, why not? It really, really helps us move up the ranks and have a higher visibility on all of these different sites. We would also love it if you would email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org. If you have comments, if you have questions, if you have jokes, um, any anything of that sort, uh, send it over to that email address. Infinity Shred does all the music for our show. They are the best band in the universe. We can't thank them enough for letting us use their music. You can check out their new stuff at infinityshred.com or on Bandcamp. Xander is the highest level of wizard, the nicest person in the world, and he's also a great Dungeons and Dragons master. Um, I will say he's he's just fantastic all around. He also edits the show, um, but I wanted to make sure I called him out for all that other stuff. Uh, I want to say thank you to Paul and Nick for being on the show this week, and extra special thanks to Dave for coming and chatting with us. We're really, really happy that you were able to make it to be on the show this week, so thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, until next time, comic books are good, and so are you. <laughs> <laughs>